Hello, and welcome to Art After Dark. <laughs> Those are the cats, and I'm Natalie. <laughs> it's like magic. As soon as we say the podcast chime, they literally like come bolting across the room in a tornado, you know, fighting, of course. Yeah, um, we the zoomies. It's all right. Yeah, but uh, I'm your ho- other host, Maddie. <laughs> And yeah, welcome to Art After Dark. Episode 13. Yes, I was just going to say episode 13, lucky number 13. Yeah. I can't believe 13 weeks, right? Or well, 14 weeks because we did take one week off when I wasn't feeling well. That's right. But still, 14 weeks sounds like a long Mm -hmm. time. I was almost thinking even like, okay, you know, in the first episode when you're talking about Lavinia Fisher and the Old City Jail and how the Old City Jail had... 13, the 13th step was, yeah. like, untouched. What if we called this, like, the 14th episode? Oh, my or God. Or something. Yeah. Or, like, Lucky 13 or something. It would something be different. interesting if we called it the 14th episode because then it would reflect, like, how many weeks we've been doing it uh-huh. since we, you know, took one week off. But I kind of like that. And, yeah, like, a lot of buildings will skip the 13th floor mm-hmm. for their elevators. Same with Elisa Lamb, that elevator. Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. Because it was a thirteen floor building, but she, but the highest floor was the fourteenth, because they took away thirteen. Because yeah, 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 that'd be cool. Episode fourteen, then. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know. We we can do whatever we want, but I was just saying, it's our interesting. listeners might be like, "What? The, what the heck? Like, why? Are you, yeah. <laughs> why does it go from where's thirteen? But still, it's it's been a long time. That's you know, lots of hours of our voices out there. So. If I know. you guys have been listening, then you guys are a real one. <laughs> yes. And I just wanted to do a quick shout out to someone that we've known for a long time, um, Sam Black. Oh, he, yeah. Yeah. So he, um, <laughs> cats. <laughs> he gave us a shout out on, he's got a band now, um, Modern Amusement, and it's amazing. And he gave us a shout out on his latest video, which features me. So really? go check out his band, Modern Amusement, on Spotify. It's awesome. Oh, my gosh. So. I'll definitely check it out. Yeah. Sam yeah. Black and us, too. We go way back. Like He's probably, like, my oldest friend besides you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Like, yeah. Yeah, we've both known him for a long time. Mm-hmm. Thanks for so. the shout-out, Sam. Yeah, yeah, check out his band. He's super talented. Yep. Okay. So I just wanted to say <laughs> that really quick. But how was your week? How was your foot? What are your highs and lows? What's <laughs> it's the like, tea? It's like a segment now. Like, so how's Maddie's foot? <laughs> yes, this, this is Maddie's foot segment. <laughs> it's doing a lot better. Um, it's like actually able to be put into a shoe at this point, which they didn't tell me that I couldn't wear normal shoes for like two weeks after the procedure. And if oh. you are new here and don't know, long story short, I got my toenail surgically removed, like the whole damn thing. So it hurt really bad. It hurt way more than I expected. Um, but yeah, I can finally put it in like a regular tennis shoe. So I, I get to work out again, which has been really good for my mental health. Yeah. Um, yeah. But the gyms are closed. Uh, if you live in Minnesota or a lot of places, gyms are closed right now. Right. So I've been going to my mom's and using like her, she has a Peloton machine, mm-hmm. which has been a lifesaver like it's it's been so nice to stay active during all this. So. Yeah, 
Not yeah. sponsored. <laughs> yeah, not sponsored. I wish. Oh my god. I feel I'm like obsessed with Peloton. There's a lot of times where we're like, oh, check out, you know, um, Blue Apron. It's so great. But it's it like, sounds like it's scripted. Like I love my Peloton. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, but the Peloton's been nice, and so yeah, no so kidding. I've been really grateful. And also, I went over to my mom's. I've just been like hanging out at my mom's a lot lately. I yeah, guess. Yeah. No, that's good. Um, plus it's like you used to live there, so it's like you've already had contact with right, her the whole time. Exactly. So, yeah. She's like in my bubble of people that I make contact with. They're like the small circle of people I make contact right, with right exactly. now. Um, but I went over to her house and we made gingerbread houses, which was super wholesome and cute that's all so fun i've never done that before so yeah i gotta try that yeah definitely a cute date night idea mm-hmm. and i've been just like obsessed with anything gingerbread flavored this whole holiday mm-hmm. season like anything gingerbread flavored give it to me like they made gingerbread oreos oh my god they're like the best thing ever it tastes like christmas in your mouth mm-hmm. like oh, so <laughs> it's so good so yeah those are my highs and for my low, you know, it's just like, I'm still laid off and I'm not receiving unemployment. I've never applied for unemployment before, but for some reason, like, they're not issuing it to me. So. Oh, what? Yeah. Oh, it kind of sucks. So I'm just kind of like sitting at home, like, you know, with not much to do. And it's just hard to not work for me. Yeah. I, I don't like sitting still. So that's mm. not been fun. That's where you and I differ. <laughs> I wish I never had to work. <laughs> well, you're super busy with school right now, so you probably feel like that. You that's know? true. That's, yeah, that's actually my high for the week is that school is almost done. So Woo-hoo! I've got like one more week going on and, well, two, one more week after this. Yeah. Call, call, yeah. Coming week, yeah. But, yeah, so I'm just working on finals, which is kind of a low, I guess. But it's also kind of fun because I know that when I'm done, then I'm going to be done done with my right. classes and everything. And You're almost there, girl. It's like the final countdown, like yeah. preparing for the big boss battle, you and know. I'm never going to take six classes in a semester ever again. This was a no. terrible idea. It was, don't do the, Don't do this. Like, Honestly, it's worth, it's more expensive, yes, but it's worth your sanity, in my opinion, because yeah. I did the same thing. I took too many classes at first, and then I scaled it back to, like, five tops, because six five is a little too much. Yeah, yeah, last semester, not the summer one, but last spring, I took five, and that was, like, right at the point where it was, like, mm-hmm. not too much, but, like, almost you know manageable but not chaotic yeah quite yet yeah yeah but six is just too many so now i have six final projects that i have to do you got this yeah so i'm (laughs) getting there but it's like and then you can you know relax Mm -hmm. and chill that's the best part i was just talking with her before this i almost missed the stress of college for that like release when finals are over mm-hmm. and you're like, I can just do nothing right now with no consequences. And no guilt, you know, yes. like when you're not working on something, you just feel Ugh, guilty. I hate the guilt, like when you have a big project, but you're like pushing it off and you just feel that, yeah, guilty feeling. It just feeling. doesn't feel good. Yeah. But my low this week is that I had like a really bad migraine, like one of the worst I've ever had. Oh no. Yeah. And I used to get them a lot in high school and I've been getting them a lot lately I think it's like 
school stress oh, brings totally. it out in me or something. Mm-hmm. But anyway, I had a virtual doctor's appointment and they like prescribed me something to take for them. So oh. that's good at least. Yeah, well, there you go. God, I have something to take if I get a bad one like that again. But I was like so sick from it. And like, yeah. you know, I, like a few weeks ago, I like came over and I had a headache that you remember that? Yeah, yeah. Got, a few like, weeks ago, you weren't feeling that great. Yeah. Yeah, I my heart goes out to people with migraines. I've never really struggled with migraines, thankfully. Um, but from what I hear, they're awful. Mm-hmm. So yeah, but yeah, at least you got something for yeah. it. Yeah. So that was my low one. I don't know. So what is our artist death of the day that you found for us? So okay, first of all, not artist, but I just want to quickly say rest in peace to all who passed during Pearl Harbor on December seventh, nineteen forty one. Mm -hmm. um it's the anniversary of that so yeah and just in case people don't know the attack killed 2,403 people um including 68 just regular civilians and it destroyed and damaged 19 U.S. Navy ships including eight battleships Mm -hmm. yeah rest in peace yeah so I just wanted to bring that up since it was like kind of an important part of history yeah Yeah. so I don't know some of them are probably artists (laughs) yeah yeah. That's true. So, That's rest in peace. True. Um, and then, uh, okay, I wanted to mention this, too, because I found it really interesting. Also not an artist, but in 1982, Charlie Brooks Jr., who is a convicted murderer, he was the first U.S. prisoner to be executed by lethal injection. Oh, weird. Yeah. So they must have been, like, hanging before still, yeah. maybe? Yeah. Yes, or like electric even, chair. Or yeah, electric chair. So I just thought that was interesting, so I wanted to bring it up. But I do have an artist. Okay. Right. <laughs> okay, sorry. <laughs> well, so that, we have a little bit of, you know, dark, and now we have the art death of the day. Yeah. Well, I mean, we, you know, we had to mention Pearl Harbor because oh, it was yeah. just such a and big that, of thing course. in history. But um, for the actual artist death of the day, I found a woman, finally. And <laughs> there her, are not a lot of female artists in history. I know. But her name was Romaine Brooks. She died on this day in 1970 at age 96. And she was a painter who did portraiture in grayscale. So it's really cool seeing like black and white paintings that, yeah. Oh, cool. Grayscale. But um, she is best known for her images of women dressed up in androgynous or masculine clothing. Interesting. So love her. Mm-hmm. Rest in peace. Rest in peace. Definitely check out her work. Mm-hmm. So what do we have today for the dark top? So I was thinking about what to do this week and I was talking with Jack and he really wanted me to talk about something having to do with ancient Egypt. Yes. And yeah, and also we've been doing, you know, lots of true crime. There's an abundance of true crime stories, so that probably will be like a big reoccurring theme Mm -hmm. on this podcast, but I want to mix it up a bit and we're going to talk about the curse of uh, King Tut's tomb. Sweet. Oh yeah, that's right. You've been to Egypt Uh before. That's so wild to me. I'd love to go to Egypt. Yeah, it's the whole thing in like a museum. It's really cool. That is. I can't remember the name of the museum, but well, I know maybe. they move it around sometimes too to like different countries to oh, like display yeah. or display the exhibit. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, he's probably been all over the place. Mm-hmm. But since you've been to King Tut's too, maybe this story will creep you out a little bit more because we are going to be talking about the curse. Yeah. Um. So yeah, a little bit of supernatural, spooky stuff going on today. Um. So I've always been fascinated by ancient Egypt, mm-hmm. and one of those reasons why is because I think the 
Egyptians were always ahead of their time and they're just very like intelligent and mysterious people and they always have a very big connection to like the spiritual realm which I find really fascinating yeah and so they're really powerful civilization during their time um and they were also very knowledgeable about the universe or what they referred to as the cosmos. So they're just really intelligent and mysterious. So I love the ancient Egyptians and any stories about them. Um, And just a little background on ancient Egypt. So it's a civilization that developed in North Africa and it concentrated around the Nile River. And the ancient Egyptians were really dependent on the Nile River because of the fertile lands around it and that's what made them so successful and able to sustain a living Mm -hmm. and so they were able to develop into a really like heavily populated civilization and they became very socially sophisticated and rich in culture um you know what they're known for and they're they've always been fueled by really strong religious beliefs which we'll get a little bit into today And so ancient Egypt operated under the bureaucracy of elite scribes, religious leaders, and this was all under the control of the pharaoh. And his job was to basically unite the Egyptian people and uphold their elaborate system of religious beliefs. And so speaking on the pharaoh a little bit, the pharaoh is a title for the monarchs of ancient Egypt. And it's basically like the head honcho ruler of Egypt Mm -hmm. and so that was usually like the sons and the declared hires from the preceding pharaoh so in this society religion was super integral to that word so hard for me to pronounce for some reason I think integral (laughs) integral yeah wait no this listening to I know right (laughs) listening to this podcast every week has really like highlighted my vocal fries or what you would call them oh gosh i have such vocal fry even earlier when i was just talking about the death of the day i was like oh yeah (laughs) yeah it happens to me all the time so sorry guys but as i was saying religious was very important to their everyday life (laughs) (laughs) and um so the pharaoh would also like operate as like the middleman between the deities that the people worshipped and the people And he was also considered like a god on earth. And so aside from this religious role that the pharaoh had, they also operated as like a political figure, you know, owning the land, setting laws, collecting taxes, you know, defending Egypt from invaders and all that jazz. Mm -hmm. So um, the pharaohs were really powerful. And they would also, because of their religious powers, officiate religious ceremonies and the pharaoh was responsible for maintaining mat or mat m a a t i might pronounce some things wrong mm-hmm. um because i'm obviously not from this culture so sorry in advance but mat he was responsible for attaining maintaining mat throughout the land and that is basically the ancient egyptian term that refers to truth balance order harmony morality and justice mm-hmm. And so later on during the 19th dynasty of ancient Egypt, king became the preferred term over pharaoh, just to clear any confusion. But the duties of the king are the same. It's like the same thing. Mm -hmm. And so ancient kings were believed to possess this divine religious power. 
Um, and just a little background on ancient Egyptian religion. They were polytheistic, mm-hmm. which means they worshipped many deities, like gods, goddesses. And all the gods and goddesses sort of represented different forces of nature. Mm-hmm. So Kind of similar to like Greeks and Romans. Exactly. Yeah, yeah very similar. Um, so that's kind of a little background on ancient Egyptian and the, what their culture was like. And so now getting into more of King Tut. So King Tut, or he's his real name is Tutankhamun. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard to pronounce, but... Yeah, no, that's right. Yeah. Tutankhamun. Okay. <laughs> but King Tutankhamun, and he was an Egyptian pharaoh. And he was actually the last to rule in his royal family. Um, so there's no more hires related to him after him. And he was probably the most well-known pharaoh. I think we all remember learning about him in school mm-hmm. at a young age. And that's because he was just like a really young ruler. He actually was only like eight or nine years old when he began ruling. Um, and he was also just like insanely wealthy. And his tomb was discovered. So that's kind of why he's so well-known. And he ruled over 3,000 years ago. And this was around uh, 1334 to 1325 BC. Um, But he didn't rule very long. He actually had like a really super short and sad little life. So like I said, he was only eight or nine when he took the throne. And he was given power as the king of Egypt. Which is like, I just want to say like so much pressure for a little kid. Like... I'm just thinking of nine-year-olds, I know, ruling a whole entire dynasty. Like, mm-hmm. that's so much pressure for the poor kid. Um, but he only ruled for 10 years because he actually died really young at the age of 19, which we'll get into more later. But he had really big shoes to fill because his father, Akhenaten, also his predecessor, was a very powerful ruler and he had a long reign And he made, like, a lot of big changes to Egyptian culture. Uh, For example, he was, like, a huge religious radical. And he was responsible for changing the religion all across ancient Egypt from worshipping multiple gods to just worshipping one god, which was the sun god known as Aten, Mm -hmm. and forcing people to convert and worship Aten. So King Shai had, like, big shoes to fill. Uh, But he wasn't totally alone in making decisions because he did have a royal advisor who kind of, like, helped him along. Um, But King Tut really had a lot of issues. So he actually went on to marry his half-sister, who was named Akhenesimun. (laughs) Probably pronouncing that wrong. Um, And this is obviously, like, super inappropriate by today's standards, but I think it was super normal among the royal families Mm -hmm. to like purity pure families yeah Yeah. like because yeah they're all about the hires and you know staying within the family i guess so it reminds me of game of thrones you know because that's a whole thing in game of thrones like i was gonna say harry potter it's a whole thing in harry potter is it really Mm -hmm. interesting i never knew that yeah like that's more of like a kid's show well yeah it's got some dark themes though like some of the um, Slytherin families, like the Malfoys and like um, the Blacks, oh kind, yeah, kind of like uh, mess around. Yeah, each other? just kind of like oh weird. Ancient, like older. I don't know. It's older Harry Potter lore, but they would like 
Lots inbred, of folklore basically. stuff into inbred or some like things like that. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be surprised if it's in Lord of the Rings. <laughs> <laughs> same kind of deal. Yeah, same dealio over there. Um, but yeah, so they were like the hills have eyes inbred family, which Ugh. is not good. <laughs> so oh, Tutsky. I know. But well, actually, I mean, his to make it worse, his parents were immediate siblings. So meaning, like, Tut's, Tut's dad, you know, and mom were brother and sister. So, Tut Wait, was... Wait, so how did you have a half-sister? I honestly... That's not a great question. He, I think did the Egyptians mom. might have multiple wives sometimes. Oh. Maybe. That would make sense, yeah. You know, that's something I really didn't look too much more into, but interesting. Mm-hmm. But yeah, his parents were immediate siblings, So, yeah, he had a lot of health issues because of that. Um, So because his parents were siblings, you know, and if you've seen the movie Hills Have Eyes, like, it's not a secret that, you know, you can become deformed if your parents are siblings. Maybe that's why they were all so short back then. Yeah. (laughs) Wait a minute. I'm... (laughs) <laughs> I'm like 5'1". Okay, I'm, I'm not short because I'm born of incest, by the way. <laughs> no, but they were like four feet tall back then. Oh, really? Yeah. I think that's why, like, beds are so small. <laughs> because, you know, the bed size hasn't changed that much. And don't you ever think, like, when you're laying in bed, oh my gosh, this is, like, way too short? Like, I'm 5'1", and... I don't personally think that, so... <laughs> I'm short, but, like, Joe's really tall, and yeah. so he, like, takes up the whole bed, mm-hmm. like, lengthwise. Oh, and it's interesting. Like, gosh. And it's like, why are, <laughs> why are bathtubs so small? Okay. Right. Like, I know, right? What person could lay comfortably in a bathtub? It doesn't make sense. They're too small. Uh, maybe, yeah, because, like, bathtub sizes haven't changed it's since like, we were four feet tall. You need, like, a William Howard Taft-sized bathtub <laughs> to be comfortable. I mean, I don't blame him for getting stuck in the tub, like... <laughs> <laughs> but yeah I mean the thing about King Tut like if we're gonna talk about height is he probably was like four feet tall because he had like his left foot was super clubbed like really it was completely turned inward it basically looked like if you look at you know composite sketches it looked like he walked on his ankle pretty much oh my gosh so... I just looked it up he's five six I'm like oh I'm really? actually in shock because I should have done my research more he would have been tall then if he didn't have a bum you know left foot dude that's tall like from what I was thinking because that's I've been tall. in the pyramids and the and you have to like I'm like getting up now you have to like do this. Oh, now she's like squatting by the table and <laughs> pretending to walk in the doorway. Very claustrophobic. You would hate it. I I am actually really claustrophobic. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'd probably hate that. <laughs> but it was worth it. Though. Interesting. So he was five six. That, I should have. That done can't my, be right. I should have right? done my research more. That seems pretty tall. But anyways, so he walked around with a cane because he had a left club foot. Mm-hmm. He also had a rare bone disease, which kind of crippled, you know, his ability to be mobile and all that. And he also had really bad malaria. And they say that your immune system gets compromised if you're, like, born of incest. So that could be why he had ma- malaria really bad. So he had a lot of health issues, basically. And King Tut's wife slash half-sister fell pregnant twice, but lost the first baby due to a miscarriage at five months pregnant. 
and lost the other baby at full full term shortly after the birth. And so this was also believed to have been caused from the incestual relationship. Mm -hmm. Uh, So lots of incest going on, which they probably had no idea why this stuff was happening. You know, they probably were wondering why they were being born with these health issues because they had no idea (laughs) until way later on that incest is really bad. Mm -hmm. But anyways, so when you, because of this, when you see a picture of King Tut, so scientists today have like taken his remains and analyze them and use CT scans and modern technology. And they were able to compute essentially an image of what King Tut would have looked like. Mm -hmm. And his body definitely looks misshapen. Beyond like his left foot being clubbed, like he has these really wide and lopsided hips. It's very odd looking. And he also has, like, a really disfigured, elongated, flat head and a very, like, small, pronounced, weak chin. Um, Oh, that's creepy. Yeah, and I have both these pictures in my notes, and um, we'll We'll post post them them for sure. It's, yeah, he definitely... His headdress is definitely more attractive. Yes, he looks a lot different in paintings which obviously like they're gonna make him look real good you know it's like the old selfie so <laughs> could have put that filter on yeah oh his <laughs> exactly. hips are real messed up right look at those hips like but also at the same time it's like dang i wish i was that shit. i know he, he got that coat he's kind of thick yeah <laughs> he, he, he got hell. that wagon boy <laughs> he's got a big dumper <laughs> oh god <laughs> look at that dumper on him Please don't haunt me, King Tut. Like, no, King Tut, we're complimenting fun. you. <laughs> and yeah, in today's world, that's a very big compliment. <laughs> um, but yeah, so like I said earlier, he didn't live very long. Mm. Um, yeah, so he died. And even after his death and after we've analyzed his remains, we still don't know exactly how he died. But they do believe that whatever killed him was really abrupt and unexpected and some scientists say that there's evidence that his chest was severely injured during a chariot accident and hypothesized that is how he died but others have a really hard time believing he was riding around in a chariot giving his disabilities um because he really had a hard time walking i mean he, he had to use like a cane and he couldn't really do too much physical activity from what I've read. Do you think that when they found his remains, maybe, like, his bones were just, like, messed up from, like, being... You know, I considered that, but when I looked more into it, they had, like, these scientific ways to prove which injuries were, you know, oh, from after pre-mortem yeah. and post-mortem. That's a good um, point. Plus, they were pretty, yeah. good, pretty good about... Pre- yeah. Pretty good about preserving bodies. <laughs> exactly. Trying to, like, and mix that like together. definitely helped too. And we'll get more into that too later, like how they were able to deter um uh, were able to determine. Oh yeah. Um but yeah, so like they didn't think, you know, a lot of people thought there's no way he was riding around in a chariot. Uh-huh. So the other way they thought maybe he died was his leg was super messed up. Like mm-hmm. it was they don't know how he injured it, but it had so many fractures to the bone. And the whole kneecap was missing on it. And, you know, like what you just said, maybe, like, he was born without 
a kneecap because he is disfigured, you know, from the incest. Yeah. But his whole kneecap was missing. So they, they thought maybe this was from an injury. And it looked as though there was a huge gash wound to his leg. Or they hypothesized that his bone was fractured so badly that the shards of it tore through his flesh and caused a wound. And that led him to bleed out, which is another way he could have died. Interesting. So, yeah, big yikes. I know that, like, well, I think I remember reading back, way back when, when we learned about this in sixth grade or whatever. Yeah. I feel like I remember reading about some weird doctoring that ancient Egyptians did, too. Yeah. Like, maybe they uh just removed, like, maybe he had an injury in his kneecap and they just removed it. Oh, that's a good point. Wouldn't they just, like, remove, like, parts of your skull that, like, try to relieve headaches and stuff like that? Well, I do know (laughs) that they, like, they had a huge, really sophisticated embalming process. Yes. And I didn't study that too much here. That would honest, honestly, I'd love to return to ancient Egyptian topics later on. Yeah. Because it's just so much. But they used to, like, drill a tiny hole in the skull and somehow, like, remove the whole entire brain that way from the skull. Yeah. So they, like, had really sophisticated ways of, like, doing weird medical, you know, maneuvers like that. Yeah. So it looked as though maybe he could have bled out and died that way. Other people suggest that perhaps he was murdered. Um, and this, they thought maybe he was hit over the head with a blunt object, or they thought maybe there's evidence of him being poisoned to death. And the story is, is that he was one of the youngest rulers, which caused a lot of rift among those around him who wanted his spot. You know, they wanted the throne. They didn't mm-hmm. feel that this young little boy was fit to be sitting on the throne. And so maybe since he was young and he was more weak because of his disabilities, they thought he would be easy to pick off so the next heir could take power, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, so some people really think that he was murdered. But he ruled for 10 years, you said? Yeah, so he wasn't so young by the time he died. Right. He was, you know, 19. 19. Yeah. Well, that's, um, I mean, young to die, but right. not as young as 9 years old. Right. But they also think, you know, maybe he was murdered because, like I mentioned earlier, his dad, his predecessor, he made a lot of changes and kind of, like, ruffled some feathers because he, like, forced everybody to convert to this new religion. And so... There also is talk about maybe people were afraid that um, King Tut would do the same thing, like make a bunch of changes. And so they thought, let's just get him out of the way. He's the last person in this royal family. There's no hire after him. So a lot of people think he was just taken out. But there's like really no proof um, of what happened exactly. We don't really know how he died for sure. And they said that when it came to the leg that there was uh, like resin and stuff from the embalming process inside of the fractures that led them to believe it was pre-mortem. The leg oh, fractures yeah. might not have killed him. I don't know. It's it's up in the well, air. Well, that would make sense. Him. Yeah, that they would sleep in there. Yeah. And yeah. so he was buried. Mm-hmm. And as many people know, the Egyptians are famously known for their unique burial rituals and afterlife beliefs. And so pharaohs and royal people were buried in tombs. And kings, obviously, because of their high status, had very lavish, large tombs with tons of treasures. Mm-hmm. And the Egyptians believed that when you died, you took whatever possessions you were buried with to your afterlife. And so, because of this, the dead 
uh, would often be buried with all of their most prized possessions, like tons of riches and treasures, and also like things that they thought would be essential in the afterlife. And so King Tut was buried in the tomb of Tut Ak Amen, and his tomb was actually really small considering his high status. And that's believed it was because he was so he was young and he died really quick and unexpectedly. So they didn't have time to build a grand tomb for him. So the tomb they put him in was likely already ready when he died and originally intended for somebody else. Um, but it was still big enough to have him be buried with 5,398 items. Oh. Yeah. And it makes you think, like, what would you bring with you in the afterlife? Like, what yeah. would be your... Pers- kind of like the ofrenda question. Oh, yeah. yeah. When we talk about um, Day of the Dead. Yeah. Yeah. It it makes you think, like, I don't even think I have 5,000, you know, 400 items that I would take with me. I would me. be concerned if you did have that many That's items. a lot it's of a lot. things. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what I'd bring. I'd probably have to bring all my makeup. That'd be quite a bit. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I would just not even know. I don't I, know. What do you need in the afterlife? Like, <laughs> just but, put my organs in a jar and call it good. Right. <laughs> yeah. So they they buried him with a lot of crap. And <laughs> yeah. So like, I, in the museum that I saw, so like I didn't go to the actual uh-huh. the location of the tomb, the Tutankhamun tomb or whatever. It yeah. Is. Um, but it is all of his items, not all of his items, but like a lot of the items. A are chunk like, of them. Yeah, yeah. In a museum. I can't remember the name of that museum. But um, yeah, so it was really interesting to see like some of those yeah. artifacts. I saw a mummy once when I went to a museum. In, it's creepy, right? Where were we? I think we were in DC. Hmm. And yeah, it's just like very unsettling. I mean, it's always unsettling to look at human remains. I mean, it should yeah. be unsettling to you. If, if it's, it's not, not, that's kind of weird. <laughs> right. Yeah. It was, like, very unsettling. And also just, like, I couldn't believe I was staring at something with my own eyes. Like, that was over 3,000 years old. Mm-hmm. I was like, how could this be so old and in front of me right now? Like, that's not so. So, yeah, he was, it was creepy. But he was buried with a lot of things, such as... A solid gold coffin, a bunch of thrones, a bunch of archery bows. I guess he was, like, super into archery and would, like, go and hunt ostriches when he was a boy. Uh, He also had trumpets. He was super into trumpets. Lots of furniture, food, kind of like the Day of the Dead Ofrenda thing. They also have food and wine for him to, like, consume in the afterlife. And he also was buried with sandals. And I, I just included this because I thought it was weird. But he was buried with fresh linen underwear. And I get it. Like, I'd want fresh underwear, I guess, buried with me in the afterlife. I mean, what if you need a change? Like, but. Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, he was buried with all the essentials. And it took 10 years to catalog all of the items that were found in the tomb. And so, naturally, with tombs, with all these goodies sitting around, people are going to want to break into it. And it's estimated that there were two attempted break-ins after King Tut's initial burial thousands of years ago, but none other besides those initial attempts all that time ago. And so, because of this problem with people wanting to grave rob, the pharaohs started putting curses on their tombs to curse whoever whoever entered the tomb. 
Mm. Yeah. So this is where, you know, we get into the curse of the Pharaoh. And that is a belief that anyone who disturbs a mummy's tomb will be cursed in an attempt to preserve the sanctity of the tomb. And so uh, getting into like the discovery of King Tut's tomb, archaeologist and Egyptologist Howard Carter is responsible for that. And his team discovered the tomb in 1922. And this had taken many, many years of excavating. And Howard always thought he knew where the tomb was located. And one time he was even inches close to excavating the opening of the tomb. But he just like gave up and moved to another location only to like find out years later he was that close. So it took a long time. And when he did finally find the tomb, They cut into this rock and they revealed 15 narrow hidden steps that led down to a sealed doorway. And on the doorway was engraved Tutankhamun. And so upon discovering the tomb, he immediately sent word back to the Lord of England. And he was responsible for funding the discovery, which is why, you know, he was kind of keeping him posted. And so he let the king of England or the lord of England know and then he started traveling to Egypt to check out the findings and so in November of 1922 this is four months before the official set opening of the tomb Howard traveled to the tomb only with Lord Carnivon again pronunciation (laughs) and he was the lord of England at this time And he also went with his financial backer. So they went in secret and they discovered the evidence of the two prior break-ins on the doorway of the tomb. And so they started getting worried, like maybe the tomb was already robbed. Do we even know if anything's even left in here? And so they wanted to find out. And so the doorway that led to King Tut's burial chamber was barricaded with a ton of objects including two large statues of King Tut. And they were like super impatient and they didn't want to take the proper excavation route where it would take weeks to move all these heavy objects and carry it out. (sighs) Right. So they, just being little impatient people, decided to return in secret at night and they crawled through a really small hole that had previously been made from the robbers. And so they crawled through this tiny hole, which it's like, I'm just picturing this really creepy dark night scene crawling through this ancient hole Ugh. and you don't have no idea what's on the other end like that just gives me the chills you know claustrophobia for oh one gosh, <laughs> but so they crawl through this hole and they see the burial chamber and after that night howard let the egyptian antiquities authorities know of their big discovery because once he saw the burial chamber with his own eyes, he knew, like, I think that everything's going to be intact. And so, fast forward, now it's February 17th of 1923. The crew had been excavating further and further, and they were finally ready for the official entry into the burial chamber. Mm-hmm. And so, they invited 20 people to bear witness to the unveiling of the burial chamber. And outside of the burial chamber were two additional rooms that were loaded with treasures and possessions. And he had like, again, 5,400 possessions in there. So it was like stuffed wall to wall with riches and treasures. So they were completely amazed at what was being unveiled. And they actually watched Howard Carter 
moved stones out of the way himself as he entered the rooms inside the tomb. And so this group was composed of archaeologists, government officials, and basically like top dogs. And um, they all bared witness to the discovery of the treasures, but they hadn't actually cracked into the golden sarcophagus yet. Um, that would take some time, weeks after that. And Howard Carter had pried his way into one of the chambers that guarded the coffin, and he could see where King Tup was buried. So basically, like, if you could picture it, the coffin situation is like, there's the main coffin, and that's encased in another coffin, and so on. It's like a Russian doll mm -hmm. situation. Interesting. So, yeah, so like super guarded. And so when it was finally time to open the sarcophagus, 58 people were present to witness it. And when they finally had the corpse of King Tut in hand, they were analyzing it and they discovered it was in pretty bad condition. Um, the Egyptians are really good with embalming, but it still had been like over 3,000 years. So his head was nearly detached and also his foot was pretty badly damaged. And they're still able to tell the leg fracture happened before his death because, like I said, there's embalming resin inside of his leg. Mm -hmm. And so the photos of his remains are just, like, super creepy. I'll definitely include them in the post we make, but um, it's super creepy because you can, like, still see the skin on the corpse. I mean, if it were, like, any other corpse, it'd be a skeleton by this time, but you can still see, like, the hair and the nose. It's really unsettling. But anyways, like, like I said earlier, there was a really small hole in his skull where they had taken out his brain. Mm -hmm. And King Tut's mummified body was actually stuck inside of the coffin. And so in a really aggressive and, in my opinion, careless manner, Howard's crew decided that it was a good idea to just heat up a knife and slice it through the mummy's body to cut him loose from the coffin. What? Yeah. This so, uh, really happened? This really happened. Yeah, this is the 1920s. Oh so I don't know what they were thinking. Like, this is one of the biggest discoveries ever made. And they're like trying to yank, you know, the corpse out and it was stuck. So they just started hacking away at it like come on there had to have been a better way but there it was just like on the spot spur of the moment they he you know heat up a knife somehow and just slice through it like it was butter <laughs> oh my gosh i can't believe this actually happened oh my gosh yeah. oh this is so interesting okay continue yeah so i mean that probably really pissed off king tut's spirit mm -hmm. and so howard carter was actually heavily criticized for opening the tomb and disturbing tut's resting place because many people many uh people do still believe that the curse of the mummy is alive and well and also like he was resting peacefully for thousands of years and now they're just like disturbing his remains and like cutting his body well that's so. what i was gonna say too it's like <laughs> what makes it okay for you know what like uh, i don't know it just it doesn't really seem right like they you know have this very sacred meaning about it too like this is their afterlife resting place and it was right. never supposed to be opened ever again like that's what i find interesting about the, these tombs they spent so long making them so beautifully decorated 
and putting all of these goods in them to seal them up and fully expecting them to never be seen again. Mm -hmm. So it's just really sad that they kind of ruined this area. I really agree. It's just like, I don't know. It is nice like to get the history because I love history, but like, you know, it just seems a little wrong. But anyways. I don't know. It's like, do, put it, like, do the research and, like, put him back or something. I don't yeah, know. But I know then someone else would probably take it. Because, yeah, now he, like, I'm pretty sure just travels the world. As in, like, King Tut's corpse, like, travels the yeah. world, going from museum to museum. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, it's, it's interesting. It makes you wonder, like, whose corpse from this century is going to be, like, put on display in 3,000 years, like... It's just weird to think I know, about. Yeah, I don't know. And it's like, are, are they going to have such different, like, burial methods right. in 3,000 years? Right. Like, I can't even picture what that would be like. Because this was normal for high up people. Mm-hmm. So it makes me wonder, like, how is the president of the United States buried? I think Probably they do just, just a- have, like, a big, you know, not like a tomb, but like a, what do you call those things? A crypt or something? Yeah. Because I went to JFK's crypt, actually, a couple years ago, and it was really cool. But, um, yeah, it's just, it's interesting. But anyways, he was found with, he, like, when they opened up the coffin, he was wearing this golden death mask. And this was made to look like the god of the afterlife, Osiris. So that's really creepy. That's the first thing that they saw. And then they take off the mask. And... They also saw that he was buried with a set of iron blades, and these were believed to have been used in a ritual that were meant to help him in the afterlife. Mm-hmm. And so he had those. He also had a knife with a blade that was made out of an iron meteorite from space. Cool. Yeah. Like I said, they're super interested in the universe. So how they got this iron meteorite and just made a dagger out of it is so cool to me. It's really dope, actually. I know, right? (laughs) But anyways, he also had an amulet crystal on a gold chain. Uh, The Egyptians were really into, like, the power of stones and all that, so it probably had, like, a significant meaning to him. And they also found his beloved trumpet, which was the oldest trumpet ever discovered. And this trumpet was used to call soldiers into battle, Mm -hmm. and so it was pretty special And in 1939, this is crazy to me, but in 1939, they decided to have this basically like a radio personality. If it were like today's world, it'd be like some radio disc jockey, like, hey guys, DJ, like Ryan Seacrest type. Oh my gosh. They had this radio personality guy play the trumpet for the first time in thousands of years live on the radio. And it sounded really terrible and, like, inaudible. So, basically, they wanted to try a second time, and they made a new mouthpiece to upgrade the trumpet. And when he started playing it the second time, the trumpet literally broke into a bunch of pieces in his hand. And so, they repaired it and tried it a third time. Oh, my gosh. I know. It's like, I don't think you're supposed to play this. Like, just stop. Like, leave it alone. But they refused to quit, and they were actually successful, and it was played for 150 million live radio listeners, and a British soldier is actually the one that got to play the trumpet, 
So I'll play like a few seconds of it. Oh, cool. Um, if you can hear it. it. If you can't hear it, it won't be long. So bear with me. <laughs> sound like it's kind of cool like i'm just imagining like that being the sound to call soldiers into battle it's just it's an interesting piece of history um Mm -hmm. but anyways so they played this live on the radio and um many people including myself believe ancient egyptians had like mysterious connections to the spiritual realm Mm -hmm. and they possessed the ability to do things like cast curses Mm -hmm. and so howard carter uh, was especially looked to blame when people who stood witness to the opening of the tomb started mysteriously having horribly bad luck. Oh. So I'll get a little into the curses now. Mm. So three months after that radio broadcast where the British soldier played the war trumpet, Britain actually went into World War II. So that was three months after. Three months exactly after they went to World War II. So that was a little weird. Oh, dang. Okay. Then the next time the trumpet was played, because this was like on display, um, <sighs> and shown around, obviously. And the next time the trumpet was played was right before the Six Day War between Egypt and Israel in 1967. Then the trumpet was played again in 1990, and that was right before the Gulf War happened. And then it was played one last time in 2011, and that was right before the Egyptian Revolution. So it's just like a lot of coincidences. Like, and then it was played in 2020, and then the pandemic happened. I know. I know. Right? I'm like, who played that damn trumpet yeah. this year? Like. <laughs> For real. It's just like, it's interesting, you know? Why do people keep playing it? Oh my god, to be honest though, I'm pretty sure in 2020 there was a tomb, an Egyptian tomb that was like opened. Not obviously King Tusk, because this was a while ago, but (laughs) I think there was one. I'll have to do my research on that and I'll update y'all, but like... That's interesting. I'm gonna be almost like mad if I find out that's the case. I'm like, you should have learned your lesson from this story. But anyways, mm-hmm. so the war trumpet is causing wars. And then um, also... Interesting. That's so interesting. And I it's know, like specifically right? the war trumpet. Too. I know. Like that's what he used to call into war. And that's specifically associated with wars after it's played. So huh. I just found that really interesting. Very. And this also should have been a huge red flag. Like when you're watching a scary movie... This is the part where you're like, stop, like, stop, you know. (laughs) So they found an ancient book of spells buried alongside him. And there is also a spell uh, written in hieroglyphs in the tomb. And the inscriptions in the tomb were translated to, they who enter the sacred tomb shall be swiftly visited by the wings of death. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't that the most, like ominous yes. sentence you've ever heard. Oh my goodness. Yeah. That's like, get out of there, idiot. Like, I don't think they're joking. Yeah. Um, but I guess they weren't as superstitious as some are. And so... Three, just a little stitious. Right. Just a little stitious <laughs> as Michael Scott would say. Um, but three years after the tomb was discovered, so 12 people connected to the opening specifically had died. And six years within or six more had died within 10 years after the opening. 
And by 1935, 21 people in total connected to the opening of the tomb were all dead. The first victim was very early on, and it was actually Howard Carter's pet canary. Oh, yeah, no. I know. What? It's sad. I didn't know a pet was going to die. I know. pet. This is my pet death warning, guys. It too is late. actually kind of sad. Too late. <laughs> so this is a crazy story, too. So... Howard actually had bought this canary briefly before discovering the tomb, and somebody on his crew had said that the canary was a golden bird of luck that would help them find the tomb that year. And because of this, Carter called it the tomb of the golden bird when he finally did find the tomb. And when he went home one day, shortly after making that big discovery, one of his assistants ran up to him holding the bird, explaining that She was in the other room and she heard this human-like cry and she ran and saw that a cobra, like a huge-ass cobra, had strike, like, got the canary dead just suddenly. What? Yeah. And this was really weird because, yeah, it's Egypt and there's snakes, but this was wintertime there and I guess it's, like, super rare to see a cobra around that time in Egypt. So it was very random. And that was, like, the first bad sign, you know. And oh, that poor bird. I know. That sounds I'm like, like a horrible really way to go. I'm, really sad about this. Yeah. It's, it was really sad. And so Ugh. another thing that's interesting is that the cobra is a symbolic thing to the Egyptian monarchy. And it's believed that, like, the royal cobra was actually released in Howard Carter's home. And that was, like, a symbol of how the king always strikes his enemies. And I guess that was, like, something they did or used as a symbol back in the day. So it was really weird that this cobra randomly got into his home and killed this bird. The bird that inspired the tomb to be named the Tomb of the Golden Bird. I don't know. It's just, it's really weird. Mm -hmm. And so after this happened, the locals, you know, got wind of this and they started saying, oh my gosh, the curse has begun. And it was all the buzz. And so the next victim was actually Lord Carnarvon. And remember, this was the guy who sponsored the discovery of the tomb. And Lord Carnarvon was bitten by a mosquito. And he accidentally cut the bug bite while he was shaving. And this led to it becoming infected. (gasps) I know. Like, so random. so sad. Like... That is something that could just happen to I anyone. Know. Like, that's like, just, like, so scary. That could happen in today's world, right? Yeah. Ugh, I mean, yeah. If you get, like, something that infected and then, like, yeah. I don't know, it could get in your blood and get really bad. Like, tetanus. Like, if you shave with, like, a rusty razor, oh, you can yeah. die, right? I always think of that when I'm shaving my legs and I, like, nick myself. Ugh, I, it's the worst, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, Yeah. But anyways, so he did that. He was shaving. He nicked himself. Oh it happened to be on the bug bite. Put some rubbing alcohol on it or something. Right. Like, if you have a bug bite, I guess don't shave over it. Which is, I've, like, definitely shaved over mosquito bites. Like, you, if you live in Minnesota, yeah, you but, get mosquito bites on your legs in the summer. Yeah. It's fine to do that. Just, like, you know, be careful. Yeah, and then if you have, if you cut it, then... Clean what do you it. do? Like, yeah, I just clean it, I guess. That's how it yeah. gets infected. It's getting icky, right? Yeah, I guess. Unless, like, there's some mild, like, 
weird bug buggy poison. things to it. Yeah. I don't Not know. Not poison, but, you know, venom. I don't know. <laughs> Not venom, but. It wasn't, I don't know, maybe malaria. Because, you know, some of the mosquitoes there carry, like, malaria. But Wait, isn't that, didn't King Tut have that? Didn't you King Tut had malaria, yeah. So that'd be, that's what I thought they, you were going to say. Maybe they gave him malaria. Well, just wait, because it gets, it gets really weird. So this happens, and this isn't even the weirdest part. So he, like, cuts the bug bite. Bug bite gets infected. He suddenly gets really ill, and he's rushed to the hospital. And leading up to his death, because spoiler alert, he dies. Leading up to his death, shortly after this happened, his teeth started falling out one by one, which I don't think that's very common. That's of not an normal. infection. Yeah, so no. that happened. And then he officially died of blood poisoning. But this was, like, so random and so sudden. Like, very weird. And the weirdest thing is that some say that the bug bite was in the same exact location as a lesion that was on King Tut's cheek when he was found. And it looked very similar to the mark that was on King Tut's cheek. And Oh, my God. Yeah, so, like, he helped discover the body... And he got this weird thing on his cheek that caused him to die. It was just weird. And the teeth thing is like the teeth thing is so gross. I have yeah. like nightmares of my teeth falling out mm-hmm. on a regular. That's basis. like a really common dream, I think. For yeah, for people yeah. that are stressed out, I've heard like they dream about that. So I must, I must be like really stressed out because I have those dreams all the time. But that just is really unsettling to me. Also, and this is another animal dying trigger alert no so the exact moment that he died in the hospital his beloved little doggy Susie. stop it yeah no. and its name was Susie. isn't that cute that's <laughs> such a cute but dog name he the dog let out a scream like a high-pitched scream and died at the exact same time that he died in the hospital because they like pronounced you dead and it was the same time so that was super weird Right? And then it gets even weirder. So six weeks before Lord Carnivon had died, he was with Arthur Weigel, who was a part of the Egyptian Authority Antiquity Committee, whatever. And um, they were at the opening of the tomb. And Arthur Weigel was joking around with Lord Caravan saying, if he goes straight, if he goes down with that spirit, I give him six weeks to live. And of course, six weeks later, he died. Like, it was, his words just, like, came to life. It's really weird. And by 1934, Weigel also had died suddenly and unexpectedly. And this was a little fact that I wanted to include because I thought it was interesting. Uh, around this time, so talking about, like, the curse of the mummy was all the rave because this kind of went, you know, everywhere. Mm-hmm. I, I wanted to say viral, but... That wasn't a thing back then. Right. <laughs> but um, everybody was talking about it. And Benino Mussolini actually had ordered for this Egyptian mummy that had been given to him as a gift to be removed immediately from his, you know, vicinity because he was really scared from all this buzz going around about the curse of the mummy. So I just thought that was interesting. Oh, um, Mussolini. So scared. He was really scared. <laughs> <laughs> so... Yeah, he's like, get this out of here. I do not want to be wrapped up in this. You know, I don't blame him. Yeah, I know. That's, like, just not a good idea. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the next victim is Sir Bruce Ingham. And this is actually Howard Carter's friend. 
And he didn't die, but his house mysteriously burned down twice. And so this is weird because a little backstory, he had received this paperweight from Howard Carter. And this paperweight was made of a mummified hand with its wrist adorned with a scarab bracelet marked with the words, Cursed be he who moves my body, to him shall come fire, water, and pestilence. And coincidentally, the fire started in the same room that that paperweight was on display. It's like, why would you have that? And it why says, would you, like, uh, right, like, why would you have a mummified hand in a paperweight? I mean, you it is pretty dope, that. but like, like, yeah, like that would be interesting to have. Like, it'd be a great conversation starter. You know, that's some Ed Gein shit right there. Yeah, it's like pretty dark. And also, it says, Cursed be he who moves my body, as in like the wrist, you know, that's in your home. To him shall come fire. Yeah. Okay. And then his house burns down twice, and the fire starts in that room. Like, that's a pretty big coincidence. That's insane. That's crazy. That was really weird. And then, and like, why was the wrist separated? Like, just leave it alone. Sorry. Wow. <laughs> right. Like, I just, I don't understand. These people are just making poor decisions, you know? I almost don't want to say, like, he had it coming. I mean, obviously, that's horrible to have your house burned down, but that he shouldn't have had that. He was warned. <laughs> so, yeah. Anyways, George wow. J. Gould was another person who fell victim to the curse, and he was a wealthy American who visited the site in 1923. And shortly after visiting the site, he developed a really severe sickness that was like ammonia. And he died like months after visiting the tomb. And then also at the same time, an Egyptian prince by the name of Ali Bey, I think I'm saying that right. He had visited the tomb alongside George J. Gould in 1923. And he was murdered right after he visited by his wife. His wife just shot him point blank after he visited the tomb and it was like a complete shock to everybody so two more very sudden deaths right after visiting the you know the site and then right after the tomb seal was broken lord carnivon's half brother abruptly just like went blind like right as the tomb seal was broken he just goes blind so oh my gosh that's not you know weird at all <laughs> and Lord Carnivon's other half-brother died from malaria shortly after the tomb excavation, which, again, King oh, Tut had malaria, mm-hmm. so that's kind of interesting. So people are just dropping, like, flies around, you know, the people associated with this tomb opening. And a British archaeologist by the name of Hugh Evelyn White, he was... Hey, that's a- my name. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Last name, Yeah. <laughs> He was also part of the crew. And this is actually really sad. So Hugh Evelyn White was so paranoid because he was seeing so many people on his crew around him abruptly die that he just kind of like went crazy from paranoia. And he wrote a suicide note using his own blood, which is like super hardcore. Like that's horrible. And his suicide note read... I have succumbed to the curse that forces me to disappear. And he hung himself. Like, he wrote that in his own blood and hung himself. So he believed in this curse enough to take his own life because he was that scared of 
what would happen to him, you know, after being involved with Gosh, this. It's like the blood part seems so unnecessary, especially right. if you're going to hang yourself. Like, right. Like, I know. Like, I was like, I he wrote it in his own blood. Like, that's some like satanic type stuff. I don't know. It's it's really scary, honestly. Mm-hmm. And this, get this, this is really sudden. Oh gosh! So, Lay it on me. So the man who X-rayed King Tut's mummified remains, the day after he X-rayed the remains, he fell super ill and he died three days after X-raying the oh remains. Oh my gosh! Yeah, just like out of the blue, just died, oh. dropped dead. Like I said, over all of the years, um, within 12 years, I believe is what it said, 21 people that were associated with the opening of the tomb had died Mm -hmm. in sudden and mysterious ways. And those were just a few of the many in that group that died. Jeez. And Howard Carter himself, he wasn't really included in this group of people that died mysteriously. Mm -hmm. He actually passed away at the age of 64 from lymphoma. And this was in 1939, many years um, after the discovery. Right. So, but Interesting. The, yeah, so he, like, and he never believed that the curse was real. He always said it was fake. Um, but there's actually, like, a little conspiracy theory I found that the Egyptian government had him involved in this thing that made it so he couldn't disclose anything about the curse because it was actually getting to the point where people were not wanting to travel to uh, Egypt. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, so, I, I mean, I don't know how much weight that has to it, but... Some people say that's why he was saying, no, the curse is definitely not real. And also, like, I mean, I'm sure he didn't want to admit that he was, like, kind of responsible for all these people dying from yeah, the curse. Because this was, like, kind of his thing. Yeah. So, but he died of lymphoma um, way later on. And so just to wrap it up, some do say that the tomb may have been filled with a deadly fungus that had grown over the centuries of... Yeah, no. Like, just being, like, incubated in the walls, they thought maybe, like, it was a super deadly mold. And they did then take air samples. Then why would there be fires and, right, like, teeth exactly. falling out and, like, just right. sense. They did find, like, some bad stuff in the air samples, like, they did find ammonia, formaldehyde, and, you know, mold. But, like, it, like you said, that does not explain all the weird stuff that happened. Right. Like, no way, no how. And I just, like, have to go back to that um, British archaeologist, Evan, Hugh Evelyn White was his name. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, like, he believed this curse enough. He was so terrified. I mean, this is, like, Final Destination type stuff, right? Like, he's watching... People around him or like, like saw, die. Like, would you rather like die oh, or like God. have all this stuff happen to you? Right. Like, people are dying in horrible ways. I mean, that one guy was shot by his wife like unexpectedly when he came home. That's like, terrifying. Imagine if like just Jack just like I shot know. you when you go home like randomly because of the curse of the pharaoh. Yeah, it was just Ugh. a lot for him, and I mean, he killed himself because of it. So that's so crazy. Yeah. So that is the curse of the. King Tut's too. Dang. <laughs> I knew literally none of that. So that was really yeah. interesting for me. Especially, like, having been to Egypt and, like... I don't yeah, know, you were like, there, right? You, like, saw some of the, you know... I got to some cool stuff in the museums and... Yeah, it's just... It's um, crazy. I, like, kind of believe in the curse a little bit. If I... Like, this one really gives me the creeps. And I feel like the Egyptians really knew... 
their business when it came to spiritual stuff like mm-hmm. that, you know? Mm-hmm. So. That poor canary. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Just keep me on the bird. <laughs> that poor canary. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. Just so interesting. Yeah. I love ancient Egypt. Oh, maybe I'll cover them again sometime in another go. sort of topic. I mean, that, that that would be like a cool vacation spot for you guys. Oh I yeah, think. yeah. Especially it's full of history. You love exactly. it exactly because yeah, we we me and Jack love history. I would love to go to Egypt someday. Egypt or like you know Greece would be really fun. Oh to go yeah, to. Greece would be so cool. I think Italy is like my top number one. Oh, place yeah. I want to go not not because of like history but just because I want to go there it's yeah it's super beautiful there mm-hmm. I've always wanted to go but yeah I don't know anywho yeah so oh, I gosh I feel like I just ran a marathon because I feel like a crazed person that's been like studying you know obsessively over no that was like really well researched <laughs> and like thanks yeah there's honestly like Ancient Egypt has so much depth to it that I had to, like, I wanted to cover a lot, but I didn't want to, like, cover so much where it went on, you know, two hours. Yeah. So. You know, (laughs) it's kind of funny. We've actually mentioned Ancient Egypt a couple of times on this podcast, like, during the makeup Uh and the typography when we talked about hieroglyphics. uh, Oh, yeah, that's right. Um, But, yeah, there's so much, like art that could be talked about with all their like symbol symbolic right. like paintings and stuff you i think know? that's what draws me to to egyptian culture because they have so many things i'm interested in they have like a really rich artistic culture to them mm-hmm. and they also i mean they also loved cats hairless cats specifically i love hairless cats <gasps> me too but joe doesn't he oh, doesn't really? want to get one he thinks so oh, creepy imagine getting one and putting a little sweater on it to keep it warm it's so winter. cute oh my I gosh i love that so much i saw on twitter this one picture of one that didn't have any eyes it got its oh, eyes removed i think i saw that too. it looked like a little skeleton it was so oh my cute god i honestly would think that's really cute it is really i cute. can't believe people think they're ugly i feel like their skin looks like it feels so soft and like i know like a little naked like, mole rat right like i don't want to like cuddle up to it but yeah. yeah but like and so they have the interesting cats you know the art but then they have this like whole spiritual element to, element to mm-hmm. their culture like they really were cool people i'd love to like do more research on them sometime. yeah and like when you're there like when i was there i don't know why but i was just like so surprised at how like it sounds stupid but like you know, when you read about Egypt, you're reading about ancient oh, Egypt. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So just like going there and being in the city, it was just really cool. I mean, yeah. there's a lot of good food and just like, it's just a big city, you know? That's another thing. Like, how did they make, you know, the Great Pyramids? Because if you look at the Great Pyramids from an aerial point of view, the points, the direct, they exactly are in the direction, like the cardinal directions, like facing north south east and west exactly how does that how do they do that because they didn't have planes or any means of like having an aerial view of it so i don't know they must have just like counted the amount of bricks on each side or something but then like how did they like make it like perfectly positioned yeah i don't know so some say and this could be a whole nother topic but some say that the aliens really helped out the ancient egyptians and also this is super you know chilling but if you look at old hieroglyphs there's alien like images in them like Hmm. they've 
made like almost spaceship like hieroglyphs before so and even if you look in old renaissance paintings you can see ufos in the background it just it makes you wonder but that's crazy that's a whole nother topic for a different day that'd be another fusion of you know the art and dark topics Mm -hmm. that's crazy i did not know any of that and i didn't know any of that about king tut's tomb yeah like i didn't even know any of that like how they found it like anything oh really and well, all that stuff that was like enlightening you. Ugh, i don't know i feel like i should know that i don't know it, i feel like a lot of people don't i mean you talk about it in school but i mean they don't tell you all that stuff right so yeah i don't know and like because my friend rakan he um he and his mom had an apartment in Egypt for a little while. That's so They're from cool. Saudi Arabia, but um, yeah, so I don't know. I just feel like I should know that. <laughs> I should know more about I know that. Because I know you went to Egypt um, when we were in school. Yeah. And, you know, I remember you coming back and having a lot of stories, but yeah, yeah I just love Egypt. But mm-hmm. we have another, you're talking about another culture tonight, right? Well... Not really. I mean, it's I'm talking about uh, an arts festival that they have in Scotland. So okay, cool. I mean, Scot Scottish culture isn't really that different from like our culture. Yeah, well, <laughs> like, from like an outsider, you know, it's like different. But I mean, I think I yeah, my family is a little bit Irish, which is similar to Scottish. Yeah, they're both in the UK. Yeah, so. Yeah, so an art festival, though, in Scotland, right? Yeah, so, okay, it's going to be kind of a short and sweet topic, but today I'll be talking about a festival that takes place annually in Scotland called the Scottish Mental Health Arts Festival. I love it. Yeah, so I think the topic is important and interesting because it relates art directly, like, with mental health, Mm -hmm. and as you and I have both shared, we're both, like, very anxious people, Mm -hmm. and art helps us you know, take oh, totally. take us out of that mindset for even, like, just a little bit, you know? Oh, totally. They totally coincide with each other. I agree. So this festival, like, really highlights the importance of art on your mental health. I love cool. that. So, okay, this festival, it started in 2007 in Glasgow, and it still goes on today, and they have many exhibits each year in different parts of Scotland, which is really cool. I wish I would have known that when I went there. Oh, yeah, that's right. You went to Scotland. Yeah, but it takes place in May. Oh, For a long yeah. time, it took place around October time. But for the past, like, three or so years, it's been in May. Mm-hmm. So um, is one of Scotland's most diverse cultural events, which is cool. Um, and it covers everything from music, film, and visual art to theater, dance, and literature. So, like, the whole works. Mm-hmm. Which is nice because if you're talking about mental health, I mean... So many people have, have different, different outlets. Like, outlets. Yeah. 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 And it's grown into one of the largest festivals of its kind in the world with over 300 events and 25,000 attendees across Scotland each year. Wow. Mm-hmm. So that's like a pretty big and widespread get together. Definitely. And so, okay, their main goals are to challenge perceptions about mental illness, um, make connections, you know people to connect with each other and make Mm -hmm. sure people know they're not alone and stuff like that. Um, To develop audiences, encourage participation in some of their events, and to create things during their events. I love that. Yeah, it's really cool. And they make the events really affordable, too, so that everyone can attend regardless of, like, status. Um, And the tickets are usually on a pay-what-you-can sliding scale, and it usually ranges from two to eight pounds, which is, like, 
two to eleven dollars. Okay, so and, really, you know, anybody pretty much can attend. Right, like if you can pay, you know, eleven bucks, you can go ahead. But if you can only pay two, pay two. Yeah, and a lot of the events are free, so I just think that's cool because sometimes money is, you know, a trigger for you know, people. And that also brings up the conversation of people with. You know, nobody's immune to dealing with mental health issues. Right. You know, and a lot of times people who are more affluent or have more privileges are the ones who have access to mental health therapy and help like that where people that aren't, you know, as fortunate don't have access to help as easily sometimes. Exactly. And they can struggle more with like trying to make ends meet and just like having that anxiety on top of everything else. And mental health, you know, outlets and help and resources should be available to everybody. So I agree. And it's stupid expensive. So yeah, it's kind of Mm -hmm. a bummer, but um, they do have a lot of really cool resources on their website. Um, and since COVID-19 started spreading this spring, they moved it to online content only for 2020. Not sure what their plans are for 2021, but I'm assuming it'll be the same. Yeah. Um, but they have a lot of really cool resources on their website, which I love because being in the U.S., we can still kind of attend the festival. Yeah. Um, and they, they still have all the stuff from the 2020 festival posted, which is cool. So if you go to mhfestival.com slash exhibition, you can see a gallery of paintings. And if you go to mhfestival.com slash 2020, you can see online content that was posted for the 2020 online festival. There are poems, videos, short stories, and lots of cool stuff you can surf through to like cure your boredom during lockdown. Oh, cool. I'm looking at the page right now and it's just like... It almost reminds me of um, not as kitschy, but like Pinterest with just like so many big pictures and articles that you can click Mm -hmm. on it's just like a never-ending well it ends eventually but yeah there's a lot of content on here yeah the mhfestival.com slash 2020 is really cool because it's got like all these like that's like the festival Mm -hmm. like they've got all these like video like film and then they've got poems and like just a ton of really cool stuff short stories um and then they have a blog too that i'll mention and it's the gallery no sorry galleryofmodernart.blog just galleryofmodernart.blog okay and um they have a tab called at home and in it there's a tons of art projects you can do on there with things that you already have at home for example like one activity included making sculptures from cardboard like toilet paper rolls oh cool which was really cool and then there was one that was like making sculptures out of salt dough which is just like flour salt and water Mm -hmm. and it can be used to make sculptures and then baked at a low temperature to harden and then you can paint it so useful for right now when people are like cooped up at home and also i just have to say like what a useful resource for art teachers right now oh yeah yeah because i know a little bit what that's like trying to plan art lessons right during a pandemic when you just have the computer so and you you know it's not like you can be like oh paint this thing because not everybody has right paints expensive exactly yeah so it's nice that they have yeah things that you can just find in your kitchen because you can make art really out of anything exactly like for there was even one other project on there that was taking everyday objects out of context so like Mm -hmm. taking a spoon and then just like painting it a bunch of bright colors or like a pencil or something oh cool yeah so that would be like a really cool thing to do and i just think it's cool how like they have this tab um you know where you can 
do something at home during this lockdown and come up with some ideas to right. help you get that creative outlet even when you can't go, like, I don't know, somewhere. And, you know, if you don't, you know, practice doing art stuff very much, because I know we were actually just talking about this before we were recording, but Natalie was mentioning that Joe doesn't really like doing art stuff because he gets frustrated. Yeah. But if you can, like, just let go of being frustrated and not worry about making it look good, it's really a really positive mental health outlet to just be able to sit down and create something Mm -hmm. I just know like when I was in college some semesters I wouldn't have art classes because I'd be focusing on the other end of my major and then when I returned to an art class the following semester it was like a breath of fresh air like yeah I was reminded like I need this you know to keep me oh totally you know feeling good mentally right so art really has Joe is really creative I think he doesn't give himself enough yeah well some people do like you know people who are more perfectionist like they want it to look a certain way and when it doesn't go their way they get frustrated I can definitely be like that Mm -hmm. but and I used to be worse about that until I kind of got more into liking more contemporary and you know, expressive, I guess you could say, art. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I don't know. It's just as nice to, like, let go of all that. And I think art's so profound for mental health, even if you're not necessarily artistically inclined. Mm-hmm. And just, like, the feeling of making something that you're proud of is, like, so... Yeah. And, you know, that's another thing, too. Like, yeah, okay, if you're not a painter, obviously you're going to get frustrated trying to, like, paint something Mm -hmm. but like if you're just painting a spoon a bunch of bright colors you know it's gonna look good no matter what right or like find your creative outlet like maybe you're good at writing or maybe you're good at maybe you love building something on minecraft right you know what i mean like just any like it could be anything so right and you know yeah it just does have like a profound you know connection with mental health and Mm -hmm. i also was gonna say Art just has this amazing, like, capability to connect people, whether it's across cultures. Exactly. Like, art has that's, like, no the, language That's the main, it. like, goal of, one of the main goals of this festival is mm-hmm. to connect people. Yeah, and now that, you know, it's more virtual, it connects people even more because people like us that are over in the U.S. can be a part of it. Exactly. I think it's really cool and maybe they'll keep on doing that, you know, even when it is in person, maybe they'll just keep posting that content online. And Mm -hmm. I just think it's really useful that they have that blog. Again, if you want to check it out, it's galleryofmodernart.blog. And then it's the at home tab where it has all the crafts. Okay. So it's really cool. Definitely, definitely check it out. But yeah, short and sweet, but I just wanted to make everyone aware of that Scottish Mental Health Arts Festival. Also, it's just a really good, and it's like, it's a good thing. It's a shorter art topic because I feel like there is just a lot. Like, I feel like the dark topic was a little long today, <laughs> but... um, I feel like that's just kind of how it goes. Like, yeah. the dark topic is always a little longer, and then the art There's, is just kind of like a little totally. cool down. Yeah. And that's kind of nice because that's exactly what it's supposed to be, like a cool down, mm-hmm. you know? Um, But I do have to, like, also say I'm really happy we're covering a topic that addresses the importance of maintaining good standing mental health yeah. right now because right now more than ever they're seeing record number of people struggling with depression and um just having a hard time yeah. right so 
you know, you need to do what you can, you know, make sure you're moving your body. Exercising helps a lot with mental health. Mm -hmm. Um, getting outside, even if it's cold in Minnesota, like I still make myself go outside and creating art and yeah. And talking with people virtually. So reach out if you're having a hard time, we'll give you an art project to do or something. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) That could be fun. We could have our own little community online. Yeah. But yeah, that does it today, I suppose, Mm -hmm. for Art After Dark. We will catch you guys next week. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we'll be on next week, and then we're going to take a little holiday break for Mm -hmm. a couple weeks, just letting you guys know in advance. So next week, and then we're going to take a little break. Yes, next week, and then, yeah, two short weeks off, and then we'll be in 2021, a whole new new year. So... Mm -hmm. All right, you guys have a great week and we will see you soon.